Well, welcome again to a wonderful vlog cast. I call it VLOG because it's video and audio. And I have a terrific guest today. And before I introduce Sarah McAllister, doctor, psychiatrist, I want to tell you how glad I am to finally launch Monday Morning Leadership for Women course. It is an eight-week course. It is right off of my book. It covers any issue that any woman leader would face. So go on to my website, ValerieAndCompany.com, and just click on the button and learn more about that, okay? I always thank my sponsors. First of all, Betty Ryder for fabulous jewelry and clothing. Betty Ryder at Preston Center. And you'll know her shop because there's a red door that you will go through. And if you say you heard about it on the show, she'll give you a 10% discount. So here we go. I, um, I want to... Thank another sponsor, by the way, who is a fairly new sponsor. You're seeing the run now, and it's Taylor Bags. Taylor Bags, I brought one today, and all I want to say is you can't possibly have a softer, leather, yummy, woof, <laughs> made in Spain and Italy, purse of all kinds, and you can find, follow Stephanie Taylor at her Instagram at shop Stephanie Taylor. Her website is easy, www.taylorbags.com. Fabulous, fabulous colors and styles. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right. My guest today is a board certified psychiatrist who specializes in helping women through what she calls hot spots. You'll learn about that. Stay curious for just a minute about what a hot spot could be and what she's going to tell us. You'll hear more about all kinds of things from Dr. Sarah McAllister, a psychiatrist who specializes in women's health and well-being. Stay tuned. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Sarah, I want to welcome you to Doing It Right. Thank you. It's so nice to be here, Valerie. I really appreciate you having me. And you are in what city and state? I am in New Canaan, Connecticut, which is about an hour north of New York City. It has to be cooler where you are than where I am in Dallas, Texas, where it is probably, I don't know, 101 feels like 120. What is it there, Sarah? Oh my gosh, it's not that hot. Um, it is about in upper 70s, low 80s, uh, but we have the Canadian um, uh, smoke. Oh. So it's all hazy and foggy and it's a little eerie. Oh, and someone told me it kind of looks orangish. Is that right? Not it, not today. It oh. did uh, the first wave um, a couple of weeks ago, but um, it's just kind of hazy. There's 
there's things all over the place, but here we are in nice air-conditioned rooms. So I wanna, I wanna get started and talk to you. And by the way, audience, I met Sarah at my uh, cooking school in Italy. Now you've been seeing me post all over the place on social media on things that we, Sarah and I, and 18 other people learned about Italian cooking. We cooked every day, didn't we, Sarah? Yes, it was so much fun. Oh, so much fun. <laughs> well, what did you learn uh, that's outstanding for those in my audience who also like to cook? Oh my gosh, I thought it was fun to make all the pasta, to roll out the pasta and cut them up and stuff the pasta. And there were so many different types of pasta we learned how to make. Um, that was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Me too getting hands-on into that yeah. dough. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right, well, back to the point of what we're going to talk about. Um, you know, when, when I met you, I told you I was fascinated with your work and you said you were fascinated with mine. So let's talk about us women because that's your specialty. Um, I'd like to ask so many questions and in the time we have, I'd like to start with what I mentioned early on, hot spots. Mm -hmm. You told me about hot spots. Would you tell us a little bit about what that is? Absolutely. So I've been practicing for over 20 years and over the years, I noticed these patterns with my patients that these group, these kind of groups, according to their ages, had these vulnerable times that there were social things going on, environmental things going on, hormonal things going on, and it really gave rise to anxiety, panic attacks, depression, and but they were kind of in these age groups, and I was fascinated by that, and the age groups were early 20s, late 20s, like around 27, and then the next one was 37 to 47 and then the next one was about in 50 like 50 52 um and then there was a subset which is really the reproductive years which spans a lot longer um but it's really these hot spots were a confluence of their their stage in life social pressures economic environmental factors and then all of that kind of gave gave rise to psychiatric symptoms so they would come into my office and they would say oh i'm feeling like i'm crazy i don't know what's going on i'm feeling out of control and so we would sort of tease apart what was going on with them given their phase of life so i'm not crazy <laughs> that's, what everyone, that's what everyone wants to hear. <laughs> you know, I, the, Sarah, this is, this just drives me crazy. I had a woman say to me one time, oh, you don't have any needs or issues. You, your life is all just, it just seems perfect. And I, I didn't, I wanted to kind of hit her. <laughs> but I don't blame you. Grace, I thought, oh my gosh, what other woman would think that any other woman wouldn't have gone through stuff. I want to talk about stuff, and I'm going to be really vulnerable here. I went through a 
a stage of depression. Not too many people know about that, so I'm really being vulnerable. And I had no reason, I didn't think, to be so. And I didn't tell anyone, and I didn't go to any, because in those days you didn't go to any person like you. You didn't even go to a counselor, and you didn't even tell your doctor. And so I stuffed it. Now, at that time, I had three children under four at one point, and wow. my husband's job was one with IBM, and he was climbing his ladder, and that meant a lot of travel. Unpack that. That's a hot spot. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had three children under the age of four, which means that you had gone through three pregnancies, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And that is a roller coaster of emotions and hormones. And you were under stress, meaning you had high cortisol levels going through your brain and trying to manage a household and three children. And there's really no respite. And so you probably you know, with all that cortisol, eventually cortisol just burns out and then you're left with depression. So probably all of that energy became depleted and it left you with a depressive episode. Um, and I'm not sure the amount of support you got during that time, but it sounds like you were taking care of everything. Yeah, exactly. And had I shared it with anyone, I would have gotten lots of support, but this leads to another point. I was a very independent, I don't suppose you know any of those like us, right, Sarah? <laughs> Woman in charge, used to having control. And <laughs> I lost it. I didn't have control. And I bring that up for encouragement, Sarah, as you and I have talked. Women need encouragement, I think, these days. Do you agree mm -hmm. with that? Oh my gosh. No, I'm so glad that you bring that up because I think we were kind of fed a lie in the 70s, 80s, and 90s that women could do it all. You know, those commercials like uh, you, You've Come a Long Way Baby or the Anjali uh, perfume commercial. You know, I can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. And all of those messages told us that you can have the high-powered career, mm -hmm. you can run the home, you can make your man happy, you can do it all. And a, a couple of generations of women really bought that. And so we are still trying to do that and take care of everyone and take care of everything and keep it all together. And it, you know, it, it truly makes us break. It, I mean, everyone has a breaking point. By the time you get to, you know, having children and running a household and possibly, you know, having having a job, you just don't have the energy anymore to 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 do all of that. And that's another hot spot when I see a patient. They're like, I used to be able to do all this in my 20s. And I tell them, but you didn't have any kids. <laughs> you didn't have a job. You didn't have a husband. Like you can't do all of these things when you're taking care of this many things. And they feel like it's a failure on their part mm -hmm. that they're not 
you know, doing it all 100%. Um, and, uh, and, but that's the message that we have been given that we should, and it's a, it's a failure if we don't. And, you know, Sarah, thank you for that. It's also kind of a dichotomy because today I watch the news. Well, not so much anymore, but I watch these, these initiatives of, uh, the power woman and the women that are burning their bras and their parades and all of that. What are we women doing to us women? Sarah, isn't that causing more anxiety? I, 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 I do think that it's causing a lot more anxiety. Um, I really regret if women are turning against each other. That's absolutely not the answer at all. Um, yeah. Um, where are they burning their bras? I haven't heard that. <laughs> I haven't heard that part. <laughs> well, in Europe, I saw that, I'll tell you. But they're getting, they're getting, I'll just say it this way. There are, a, there's so much anger out there. You know, why have one more thing to be angry about and parade about women's issues, women this, we've got to be at the top. There aren't enough of women in the boards, the blah, 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 blah. It's as if it, it, it can sound like we're beginning to feel a bit entitled because we are of a certain gender. There's so much, well, this, this group is entitled, this group is entitled. I guess my question is around your thoughts as we raise children, Sarah, and you have had how many children? Two, two of my own and two stepkids. Okay, so we're talking in the same language here. You know, what do we tell our children and grandchildren about staying, I guess, civil and respectful in a world where there is just a lot of chaos and change and um, and issues. It's just one more thing we could, and some do, just get all up in arms about. I mean, there's so many things to, to go from there. Um, I think the past 20 years has uh, been very strident in our language. Um, I think, uh, you know, politics has, been vitriolic. Uh, media has been vitriolic. One thing that I do in my own home is it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, but we turn everything off and we do not speak in uh, polarizing language. Um, it can be all that outside our house, but inside our house, we try to, you know, be calm, you know, be funny, uh, and that has really seemed to work for us, um, is really making a demarcation between public and private. That's important for all of us to hear. And you told me personally um, not to watch angry shows or <laughs> shoot them up shows or... At night, especially. Yeah, it'll rev you up and then you won't <laughs> sleep. It does. Yes. Sarah, yeah. how did you get into the, all of this? What made you what made you become a really a renowned psychiatrist? I just find 
I mean, it goes back to what you were saying, like, why aren't women helping women? I just loved the idea of helping women. Um, I first was a family practitioner and the thing that I loved to to do the most was delivering babies. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I delivered about 70, 70 something babies. And the idea of helping a woman give birth and this beautiful baby, like that was just the best feeling in the world. Um, And so then when I became a psychiatrist, I became fascinated with reproductive psychiatry, helping women who were trying to conceive or women who were, you know, pregnant or having postpartum issues. There's a ton of stuff that can happen during that vulnerable time. That's another hotspot. And women can have a lot of psychiatric symptoms during and after pregnancy. Um, It's a real thing. And it's due to, like I said, hormonal changes and life changes and social pressures. Um, And so I just feel like I'm, I'm in the trenches with them is, you know, is kind of my mantra, how to, how to help these women, you know, through these hard times. And the wonderful thing is I get to see women get better. And that is so rewarding. Um, I've, you know, been doing this so long that I've seen women, you know, when they're right out of school, and now they're moms with their own kids, and I get to see their lifespan um, and share it with them. So, you know, I, 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 I'm sad about what you're saying, that if women are, are, are not, you know, rallying together. Um, that's totally the opposite what we should be doing right now. Yeah. A lot of shoulds, <laughs> you know, yeah. speak, well, speaking of shoulds, if we can go there for a minute, <clears throat> the guilt thing, uh, you just described how some women feel after a, a baby's born and, oh my gosh, I shouldn't feel depressed. And I felt that, what have I got anything? Why, why am I feeling so down? Guilt. I want to talk about guilt. Yes, because I love that. <laughs> okay, talk about women <laughs> feeling guilty. We we. Uh, it's it's a monkey on my back. <laughs> women, my patients yeah. talk about feeling guilty all of the time. So it's all of the time, and and I tell them, guilt is fake news. <laughs> That's great. Guilt is fake news. Guilt is a social construct. Guilt can be a good thing in that it makes people in society obey laws or obey social constraints. And guilt also helps particularly women keep the society going, meaning they do the labor of society. They have the babies, they run the house, they take care of the elderly. So the guilt and shame keeps women sort of you know, in their lane, you know, mm-hmm. making society run. Um, women who did not follow social mores were called witches or were burned at the stake or had a, <laughs> you know, letter A emblazoned on their dress. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure to stay within, you know, the rules of being a good, <laughs> a good woman. Mm-hmm. Um And I think it really came to a head when women went into the workforce and now they have the additional pressure of earning a paycheck. And so whether you talk to a stay-at-home mom 
or you talk to a, a, a mom who's working full time. They both feel guilty. The working mom is guilty that she's not taking care of her family. And the stay-at-home mom is feeling guilty that she's not earning a paycheck. They just feel guilty. It's, it's all around us. And I think that women feel guilty because the primary driver of society is to make sure that women are taking care of society's needs. And we feel that all the time. And so if we're not taking care of society's needs, whether it's a job, an elderly parent, a child, if we think about ourselves and do something for ourselves or say no to a commitment, then we feel guilty. So what do you tell us, any woman who has that kind of uh, mentality? Yeah. Guilty. I was at a conference a few years ago, and one of the doctors that I highly admire is Dr. Pooja Lakshmi. She's a reproductive psychiatrist. And she said to think about guilt as static noise, like in the background. Don't, don't pay attention to it. It's all around us. It's there. It's static noise. Just ignore it. And so I took hers a little more dramatic by calling it fake news. Um, because if you think about fake news, you're like, I'm not going to listen to that because that's fake. That's not going to help me make a good decision. You know what? That's sticky to me. When I look at it the way you just described it, it, it kind of sticks up here. I ask you uh, what question maybe no one has asked you and you'd like me to, and so I'm going to, and that is we're all looking for balance, Sarah, men and women balance in our life. You're balancing your career, raising your children, uh, being a wife, traveling. So what say you? Uh, the only thing that I have come up with is slow down, have access to nature, and decrease technology. Our brains have you know, evolved for thousands and thousands of years, really just to be in the fields or in the forests. Our brains have not evolved fast enough to live in cities, obviously adapt to this fast technology, and it's very toxic. Mm -hmm. So in terms of balance, the best thing I can say is slow down, say no, decreased commitments. Uh, I'll give you an example today. Um, I had to take my car into service, <laughs> play tennis with my friends, work, do this Zoom thing, and then get my hair cut. Um, and so I said, okay, I've got to take something off. I'm feeling overwhelmed. So I ditched the car. Uh, I ditched the hair. I kept my friends because I need my friends more than my car. And of course, I wanted to see Valerie. <laughs> so um, and I had to work. So, and I don't feel guilty about it. I say, I take things off my plate when I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I, I've practiced this for years and years and I don't feel that guilt anymore. So. So glad you talked about it because there's a lot of us that have to keep shedding it. And, yeah. and in the, in the, in my, um, executive coaching part of what I do, training and development and coaching and this 
uh, it comes up a lot about um, how I should feel. So we don't want to, I think, you know, the point you just said about the brain, I think that's kind of where I want to go, which is we input, we put in our brains what we put in and therefore it, it gets up there. So will you tell us just a little bit about our brain and how we can make sure that we are putting the right things up there so we don't have to go through some of the things your patients come to you for? Well, I think uh, I love the word that you say should. Should is another um, dangerous word. Um, I say all the time to my patients, um, there is a difference between should and reality. And let's figure out reality first. And once again, should is just another external force that is trying to drive our behavior. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, if you find yourself saying should, that that's, that's a red flag right there. Um, so I'm not a big fan of should. Well, I don't like it either. So we're not going to use it anymore. There's one more thing that I find women, some women say a lot. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. And I, and I do it. I do it all the time too. Um, <laughs> How sorry can we get Sarah? <laughs> I know. I know. I think it goes back to what I was saying about guilt and shame like there's something about us that feels like we don't have the right to exist and if we impose ourselves on someone or we uh make a mistake we are just filled with shame and we have to apologize to strangers you know just for existing um yeah we need to work on that uh i have a group of friends and we're always like catching each other like do not say sorry <laughs> <laughs> as often right <laughs> all right you um you talked about midlife crisis and one of your teach one of your takeaways top takeaways that you've learned in life and you shared is that uh <laughs> midlife crisis is normal yes I'd like you to fill in the blanks a little bit on that. A lot of people are going through midlife crisis or, Sarah, transition. Lots of people, men and women, going through transition. Can you help us with that? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's a school of thought that there is a first half of life and a second half of life. The first half of life is very well tread and very well planned out for us education, finding a job, finding a partner, buying a house, having children, having a family. It's all this upward trajectory on the outside that we believe will make us happy. And the midlife crisis occurs when we've done all of those things. And we're, you know, in our 40s, approaching 50s, and what I hear from people is this feeling of discontent mm -hmm. and emptiness. And is this it? Mm -hmm. And that causes people to freak out. And so that's when you see people having an affair or buying a red sports car or getting divorced. They, 
They, they don't know what to do with that emptiness. So they go back to first half of life things in order to fill that void. And so the second half of life is an inside job. The second half of life is about how do I really want to spend my time? Who do I want to spend my time with? Who makes me feel good? What is my legacy going to be? How do I give back to the younger generations? And those questions are hard to answer and they take a long time to answer. So the midlife is really that transition point of emptiness where you are pondering those questions. And if you just sit still and allow yourself to feel those feelings and think those thoughts, that is a way of transitioning gracefully from the first to the second half of life. The problem is, is that the crisis occurs when people are acting out of their, of their fear. It makes perfect sense and very wise. So if you were to tell a child, a 12-year-old, let's say, your piece of advice, a young 12-year-old girl, with all the things that you deal with and having grown up yourself and and made your career and all of that. What's the greatest piece of advice you would give to our audience, whether it's a mom or a dad, thinking about what they might say to a young girl? What would that be? The thing that, that jumps out at me is to listen to your to your own inner, inner voice. Um, the majority of people who get kind of stuck or make mistakes is when they're listening to other people or they're listening to kind of voices from the past, meaning things that their father used to say or their mother used to say, um, and they're not really listening to their own kind of internal compass. And so if I could talk to a 12-year-old girl, I would encourage her to develop an internal compass of what is guiding her and, she, and knowing in her heart that she she knows what's best for her really no her parents yes they know what what is best for her most of the time but as she gets older she's going to know what is best no matter what anybody says um and and i have stuck to that with my patients from you know i don't know 20 years old to 60 years old and when they listen to their internal voice they they find their path they find their way so i think that's that's what i would tell that little girl that's really good wisdom for any age listen to your own voice your own little place down here in our heart that nudges us and yeah. we really yeah. do know in the coaching industry we're trained to sense that or to believe in our hearts that our coaches do have all the answers really yeah. they just need someone externally sometimes to bring it out this yeah this has been fascinating is there anything you want to leave us with that uh, above what we've talked about sarah um i guess just my last take on what you were saying um in terms of an internal voice, when I am in a conflict about a decision of what I should do, mm -hmm. if I make the decision and I feel very peaceful inside, then that tells me that I've made the right decision. Um, so that's me listening to an internal voice. 
Um, yeah. That word peace. I'm so yeah. glad you said it because I will bet dollars to donuts. <laughs> I don't worry about that. That everyone is, is seeking for peace. We just are. Yeah. Especially when we're in a hectic, busy life. And I will tell you in, in closing that when I got back from Italy, which was calm, peaceful, and the minute I hit the airport and got off that plane, I could feel it. So I, I will ask one final question, and it's this. How do you suggest women find that sense of peace? For example, I have a tree outside my window where my computer is that I, I just, I call it my peace tree. And when I'm stressed, I'll just remind myself, okay, look at that tree. <laughs> it's a visual. What would yeah. you, what would you suggest? How can people find that inner peace when there isn't any seemingly? Yeah. 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 They have to find their own tree. Really. I mean, nature, the beauty of nature is therapeutic to us and it doesn't matter if it's a tree or a piece of grass or i do the same thing in the morning i open the window and i have these birds <laughs> so i listen to the birds in the morning um but our brains are we're we're not that far from the animals we need nature it doesn't have to be beautiful but it has to be nature and just being having some kind of connection with nature can automatically calm our brains down. So I would say find whatever spot in nature you can and hold on to it. Take walks. Sarah, yeah. I, this, I knew this would be fascinating and wonderful. And if people want to get in touch with you, is there a place we can put as a banner underneath that you would be willing to answer questions maybe? Sure. I think... I think my, my website, um, sure. my assistant, my assistant, did, I don't know what the website is. I think it's Sarah McAllister, MD. <laughs> I don't we'll know. find you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know we'll what it put is. it in the I'll banner. Have, I'll yeah. find that for you. <laughs> All right. So we can, we can, uh, ask some questions periodically and I, I hope you get some because my audience really does care and they are engaged. Thank you for being with me. And will you just stay one more second because I have, an ending that is my Valerieism, and here's what it yeah here's what it is today. Purpose is ageless. It starts with the values, the soul of how you do things, being clear about what you're committed to now, now, and it changes, and then your purpose has a chance to become someone else's inspiration. So purpose is ageless. You will always have a person, no matter what age you are. Sarah, God bless you. You're such a good friend now in my cooking world, and I will stay in touch. And audience, you've got someone to ask questions to. So until next time, stay happy. Find your peace. Maybe it's a tree, whatever. Go get it. Bye for now.
Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.